Let's give another hand for the praise team. They're awesome. Um, I know Shelly and the praise team work hard, and we appreciate all that they do. Um, thank you all for your prayers. Um, this was an interesting week in the Leonard household, not because of the sermon, but because everybody but my wife had the flu. Um, so she, her mansion just got a little bit bigger um, because she had to put up with five sick kids and a sick husband all week. So, um, but thank you. I, I know we were in a lot of your prayers, and I appreciate that. Um, when Kendall asked me to preach, two different emotions went through my head almost simultaneously. The first one was excitement um, because... I mean, this is a calling of me and, and, and of mine, and, and I was excited to finally get the chance to test my chops, if you will. The second one was nervousness. Immediately, almost immediately, I felt nervousness. And I, I got to wondering why that was, and I jokingly told Kendall that the reason why I was so nervous is because 90% of this sanctuary has either changed my diaper, kicked me out of the kitchen during a, a, a luncheon, or told me to stop running in the sanctuary. So, but in all honesty, as I've gotten older, I've understood the weight of being charged with bringing the word to my church family. And so I, I want to thank you guys first for the honor of allowing me the chance to do that. Um, I didn't know when I, uh, you know, with the Advent season starting and with Christmas season, we were, I wanted to talk about giving. Um, and, and I didn't realize we were going to talk about the Harvest Festival, or Harvest Festival, I'm, I'm a school teacher, sorry. Um, uh, uh, the Harvest um, offering and things of that nature. And so this is going to be kind of one big long money morning and I apologize for that, but that wasn't what I was necessarily going for. But I want to start with, before we talk about the giving of gifts, I want to set up a scenario for you. Um, so imagine for, yourself, for a moment that you, me, are, we've, we've worked hard and we've earned, what you know, for in this scenario, let's say $1,000. $1,000 is a lot of money, regardless of what stage of life you're in. $1,000, you have to work hard to get that. And you take that $1,000 and you take it down to the bank and you own, open a savings account. And then you go on with your life. You let that money sit there. Three, four, five months later, you come back to the bank and you come to pull your money out because you have decided to spend your money on something. And you're called into the president of the bank's office and... Now, for any bankers in the room, I realize y'all would never do this. Just stick with me. Um, <clears throat> but the, the, the president of the bank calls you into his office and says, I'm sorry, times were tough here at the bank, and we needed to go on a cruise. And we needed a new car. And our kids needed to go to college. And so we don't have your money. We spent it. Now, I don't know about you, but for, for me... Um, the things that would probably come out of my mouth would probably not be allowed to be said on the, you know, from the pulpit on a Sunday morning. I would be really, really angry. Now I want you to take that scenario and I want to flip it just a little bit. Because in most of our lives, you and me, we represent God. And the banker represents us. God owns it all. Every single thing that we have ever gotten, God owns it. Our house, our car, our money, our kids. You know, I had a great, I call it a revival, if you will, in parenting. When I realized that when I brought that human being into the world, I had created an immortal being, someone who would live forever. That's a huge responsibility to understand that that child is not mine, it's God's, and I am just a steward of that gift. 
And to use the term steward, usually when someone up here says the word steward, everybody thinks, oh, we're about ready to build a building. Um, but the word steward is actually an old English term. It's not even a, a church term. When they wrote the King James Version Bible, there, in that medieval time, there was a steward who was the second in command. He was the person who controlled and handled the business of the lord of the castle. And so when they wrote the King James Version, they wrote, oh, a steward. And everybody who read the Bible at that time went, oh, we know exactly what that is. We, in our 21st century mindset and you know, 20th century mindset, have used it for when we have a big offering. Um, you know, when I, when I think stewardship, I think of the prop, you know, the big harvest offering prop. That's why I laughed when he said that, because I have vivid memories of that popping up every single year. I can still tell you where in the old sanctuary we said it. And so that's what we think of when we think of stewards or stewardship. And that's not actually what the word means. And the moment we understand the truth that it all belongs to God, it changes how we see and how we handle those gifts. And so what I want to actually talk to you about today is the, what we would call the tithe. Um, and, and we can lump the giving of gifts in that, whether it's our money gift or our time, or as the Bible says, God will remember when we give a cool drink of water to those in need. So any gift that is given in his name is blessed. And because I'm a history teacher, I'm going to give you a quick history lesson because that's what I do. Um, but the tithe is actually pre-law. It's before the laws of Moses. The very first time we ever see the tithe in the Bible is in Genesis 14, at the very beginning of the Bible. And Abram, he's not yet had a name change yet, he's still Abram, he meets along the road King Melchizedek. Now, I'm, I'm going to just say that my, my wording of names in the Bible is not as good as Kendall's, so if I stumble over them, I apologize ahead of time. But King Melchizedek, all we know about him is that he is a priest of the Most High God. And Abram immediately drops to one knee and gives a tenth of all that he has. The tithe literally means tenth. That's what the word means. And so we didn't, you know, it, Christians didn't magically come up with this number. It, it's specifically given that it's a tenth of our, our increase. It was an agrarian society, and so we gave a tenth of our first fruits. And after that, Moses came, comes along, and that's when the law was written. In Leviticus chapter 27, it was actually made law. But then Jesus came to fulfill the law. And so now we have this question of is it still a requirement? And the answer is actually no, it's not a requirement. And a tithe is not a salvation issue. Today we're not going to talk about should it be the gross or the net or should we do it weekly or should we do it monthly or should we put it in the plate or should we just have it auto-drafted so we don't have to think about it. That's all between you and God. I'm not going to get into the specifics of how you tithe. What I want to talk today is the why. Because even though it's not a requirement, everyone in this room, and myself included, would agree that God blesses us when we tithe. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a physical blessing. It may be a, a spiritual blessing. But we all agree that the tithe itself, the, give, the giving of gifts in his name, is blessed. And so the question that we have to ask is, why? Why is it blessed? And I think that 
we need to clear up a couple misconceptions that most Christians, myself included, have fallen into as to why we tithe before we actually get to what I believe is the actual reason. And the first misconception, and this is one that I, I fell into for a little while, is that the church needs our money. And then I sat on some boards for different churches. And on the small end, it's tens of thousands of dollars that's running through a church in any one month. On the high end, on some of those huge churches, it's millions. The church doesn't need your money. And I realize I can see some faces. We are never letting this guy preach again. Um, But really, the church doesn't need your money. What the church needs is sold-out believers who are standing up in faith, men and women of faith who are walking in a first commandment lifestyle. And the natural byproduct of that is giving. So the church doesn't need your money. So then the next question is, well, maybe God needs your money. You know, God needs your money to handle his work on earth. And this is one I fell in line with for a while. And that is so incredibly arrogant. And when I think about that, I think, this is the God of the, the universe. The, the being that said, let there be light, and boom, spoke entire galaxies into existence. Psalms 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. That great Andy Stanley, I, I love the way Andy Stanley puts things. He just, he has a way with words that I don't. He says, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills too. I love that. So to think that God needs our money, I once heard it said that if God needed your money, he'd take it and there'd be a greasy spot left where you were sitting, which I find hilarious and probably a little extreme, but I digress. So if the church doesn't need your money and if God doesn't need your money, then why do we give? The answer, I I believe, is in a verse of Scripture that we've heard our entire lives. It's a verse of Scripture that most of us in this room wouldn't even have to open a Bible if if we were to read it. It comes from the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Our God is a giver. Through and through, the scarlet thread of redemption that starts in Genesis and works its way clear through to the maps teaches us that to be givers. In Genesis, it says we are made in his image. And every single time we give, we are molded just a little bit more. We are molded into his image. We are molded into who he wants us to be. We've we've all met people who have, through a lifetime of giving, just have a different disposition about it. This church is full of them. I mean, full of people who, through a lifetime of giving, their disposition is different. They're joyful. They're just the way they encounter other people is is different. Because when we give, it does three things. The first one, flip my paper now. The first one, is that it is a reminder that it's all, all God's. Every time that we give, you know, think of it as, you know, like a support group. Hi, I'm Zach, and I like stuff, right? You know, take, we take that, and we put it in the plate, and it's a reminder. It's every time we take that check or that cash, or for those of us that auto-draft, you know, whatever the, the way we take the money out of their account, I see that, and I, I think, okay, this is my reminder that it's all God's. Everything that we have is God's. 
The second one is it's praise and worship. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I, I love praise and worship. That is, my, that is my thing at church. I'll be real honest with you. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. When I was younger, and my wife can attest to that, this, I would actually choose a church based off the praise and worship, which I realize is not the maturest thing in the world to do. But I would. I, we would have conversations about what I thought about the music because I, music is just awesome. But in most churches in America, we'll do the praise and worship, and then we have halftime before the big event, right, where we pass the plate. Well, no, that's the passing of the plate is an extension of our worship. You know, Kendall says something that sounds almost like a throwaway line, but he does it intentionally. He and I have talked about this. We're going to continue with our praise and worship in this time with our tithes and offerings. We do that for a reason. We do that, be, and he says that for a reason, because the, the giving of tithes and offerings, and those are two different things. The tithe is the tenth. The offerings are giving, doing cool things in God's name above the tithe when you're able to. The, that giving of that is an act of worship. It's an act of saying, God, this is my way of praising you. I am allowing you to mold me into your image. The third thing is that it's spiritual warfare. Actually, I want to take a quick step back. Um, in the, and I, <laughs> I knew I was going to do this too, because um, I, I added that little note last night, and I thought in my mind, don't forget it, don't forget it, and then I forgot it, right, which is why I should never tell myself to not forget it. Um, the Greek word for, the Bible calls for us to be a cheerful giver, in, under you know, the idea of it being praise and worship. The Greek word that we get cheerful from is helios. That's where we get our modern-day word hilarious. I think it would be hilarious if someone actually just burst into laughter when they put their money in the plate, right? Uh, granted, I mean, y'all might all worry we've gone charismatic and that's another church down the street, but I, I digress. But I think it would, be, it would be funny if you just, you know, you know, we're not supposed to be little Christian Boy Scouts, you know? I'm doing my honor to give my tithe to God and my church. You know, it's not... That sort of, it's, we're not doing it out of duty. We're doing it because we're so thankful for the blessings that God has given us that we're just, we're so glad to give back to him. Now the third point, it's spiritual warfare. And I, I use this because I came across a verse that was powerful to me. Um, in the book of Malachi, which is one of those those books that no one ever reads, if we're being honest, myself included. I, I was reading, you know, reading through, and I got, you know, I got to Malachi and went, well, there's one I've never read before. Um, you know, that kind of idea. But in chapter 3, verse 11, it says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit. They're talking about the tithe. In the verse right before that, he says, and this was interesting to me, because I don't, Outside of, you know, Gideon stories like that, you don't hear a lot of verses in which God specifically says to test him in something. That's, I mean, growing up, <clears throat> there's, there's just this mindset that, you know, it, it's okay to question when you don't understand. It's okay to, you know, study and, and believe, but the idea of testing God just seems almost irreverent. I mean, if we're being honest, I mean, you know, the, the audacity of us to question the God of the universe, that, that's, I don't know, but that uh, in the verse right before that, 
in verse 10. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. And again, I don't think that he's necessarily just talking about physical blessing. I, I don't fall into that camp, that whole, if you tithe, you'll, you know, drive back home and there's a check in the, you know, in the, you know, mailbox for you. Like, I don't fall into that camp. I believe that the blessings that you receive when you give, and again, I'm, I'm not just necessarily talking about the tithe, specifically. I'm talking about the gift of, of your time, the gift of a cool drink of water to the needy. It specifically says we're supposed to care for the widows and orphans, which I believe in our society today also means single mothers and also means the husbands and wives of those who are deployed for our, for our, our uh, military. When we give of our time, when we give of ourself, I believe that it changes us. You know, it says that God knit us in our mother's womb into his image. The, the word knit actually is more like crochet. And I always get this, my brain goes weird places, y'all. Y'all have known me a long time. I'm a Leonard through and through. Uh, but I, I get this picture of, Virginia, you married into the family. You're the normal one. All right, so it's, it's those of us that were born into it that were crazy. Um, but I get this picture of God crocheting a double helix of, of DNA. That intimate, I mean, we've all seen people who have crocheted. That's not something you, like, stick on a printer and take a step back, you know? And it's, it's intimate. Your hands are on it. You are making that with your hands. And so I can picture God crocheting that double helix of DNA, making us in, our, in our, his image down to the very core of us. And, and that making of his image includes being givers. I've, I've been blessed to be able to give in some fun ways. Um, and, and I'll tell you, outside of the normal tithe, when you give, even if it's a gift that is not necessarily what we would normally think of as, you know, quote unquote, a Christian gift. My wife has a friend um, named Kara who we found out through the, well, Facebook stalking, that for 18 years straight, she had asked for a KitchenAid mixer for Christmas. Now, I realize that's not necessarily a gift in his name, right? Like, that's not, I'm bestowing you this KitchenAid in God's name. Go forth and bake cookies for the kingdom. Like, that's not really, like, we weren't, that wasn't what the gift was for, right? But we, we sent her this KitchenAid mixer because at the time we were able to do that, and we didn't tell her that we were doing it. And so, you know, see, getting the ability to, you know, see the videos of her opening it and her, you know, just getting all excited did something to me, you know? Like, it, it, it sounds selfish, but you get that, that joy in your life that you got to do that for someone else. And so I believe that when, when God calls us to tithe, when God calls us to give, the tithe is to the local storehouse or to the local church, the gift, the offering is above. This is just your ability. God has blessed you. You have the ability to do great things for God. I believe that is a way that God takes us and molds us into his image to make us more like Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's all we're trying to do anyways, right? I mean, we spend our day being more like Jesus. We want to do that as Christians. And this is one way that he does that. Um, so we're going to 
pray real quick. Then I realize Kendall has a more usually does a more flow there, but we're going to pray and then we're going to do communion. Um, before we pray, I want to take a moment and thank you guys um, because when I left Lamisa the first time, I moved a lot of different places. Um, a lot of that was just kind of a nomadic spirit. I just got tired in one spot and moved to another place. And I'll be honest with you, very few churches that I have been a part of have that giving spirit that you guys do. And so I want to thank you guys for me, for being an example to me growing up. Because I just thought huge church suppers and, you know, pounding the new pastor and things of that nature were just what you normally did in the church. And as, I'm, as I've gone from, you know, as I moved around before finally coming home, I realized that's not necessarily normal in churches. That's, that giving spirit is not necessarily natural to a lot of congregations. And so I want to thank you guys for being a, an example to me growing up in what it means to be a cheerful giver. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We come before you humbly and thank you for all of the different ways that you bless us. We thank you for allowing us the ability to give back, to give back to remind us that, we, that it is all yours, to give back to do cool things for other people in your name. We ask that as we go throughout this week, that you would challenge us to be reminded when we give of why we do it and who we are trying to become more like. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.